Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. I think we'll actually begin at verse 33. Excuse me, I've got a frog this morning. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them deriding, derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art the same uh, in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, but we receive, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth unto the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. All the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. We'll stop our reading at that point for this morning. I'm sure all of you are well familiar with the scripture dealing trial and all the persecution that surrounded that trial of our Lord you may recall how they blindfolded him and spit in his face and mocked him and asked him to prophesy who it was if he was such a great prophet that was slapping him that wasn't enough but they to mock his kingship took some thorns from a rose bush or a similar bush and made a crown and jammed it down over his head. And then they placed that cross across his shoulder and required him to carry it from the place of condemnation out to the place of crucifixion on a hill that was called Calvary, or in the Hebrew it was called Golgotha. 
they stripped him of all his clothes. On all the pictures you see, you find that he has some clothing draped around his waist, but that's for modesty's sake. He was naked. They laid him down upon that cross and drove the nails into his hands and into his feet and then raised it into place. And there he hanged between heaven and earth. On each side of him was, was a thief who had been condemned to die and they executed our Lord in between two people that had been sentenced to death also for that same day. Yes, he saved others, they said, but himself he can't save. A derogatory remark. They taunted him with those words. Could he not have saved himself? Did he not say to us that he could call legions of angels out of heaven at his very beckoning? He could have brought down all the hosts of heaven that day just at his request to surround that very scene and take him off that cross, not a man could have done anything about it. He could have prayed to God and asked for the earth to be opened up and that the earth could have swallowed every person that surrounded the cross. He could have asked for fire out of heaven to come down upon that city and upon those people like came down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have cursed them at the very least. Wreaking out his anger upon them and calling them every name that he could think of that they would rightly have deserved to be called, but he didn't. He could have snarled and said, all right, you have got me now, but I'll get you in the judgment. But he didn't. He resisted all of those human inclinations to come back at our enemies and curse them and wish them dead. And if it were in our power to, in fact, execute them for what they have done to us. But he didn't do that. He began his three hours upon the cross by praying for those who put him there. Quite a different attitude than mankind would take and probably you and I would exercise in that given situation. He prayed. For whom did he pray? I think there is no doubt that his prayer was for the soldiers that rode the nails in his hands and his feet. And for those who lifted up that cross and let it fall with a thud into the hole that had been dug for it. I think he no doubt prayed for those soldiers that gambled for his clothing right at the foot of his cross. 
I think very likely he had in mind the chief priests and the others of the Sanhedrin who mocked the very principles of righteousness and justice in all of their efforts to get him condemned to death. I think he prayed for Pilate who refused to stand up for what he knew was right. I think he had Peter in mind who just a few hours before had denied that he even knew him. And the other apostles who were at some distance hiding and looking upon the scene. We think that only John was at the cross. But I think he also was praying for you and for me. We can even go back to the Old Testament to find evidence of that. When Isaiah, speaking the words of the Lord in the 53rd chapter, made such a dynamic prophecy concerning our Lord, before the crucifixion, making a statement that would be made after the crucifixion when he said that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was, was upon him and with his stripes were healed. You know why Jesus went to the cross? Because I put him there. And you put him there. You made him lay down, and I made him lay down up an old rugged cross. It was you and I who really drove the nails. You and I and every person in this world. Because God commanded that there had to be shedding of blood for sin to be forgiven. And he could find no sacrifice in this whole world that would satisfy his righteous decision. If we were not to die, some person must die in our stead. And where was that person? No one born of man that has ever looked into the light of this world could satisfy the complete requirements that God made for a righteous bloodshedding. So he decided that he would send his own son. The only one that he could find good enough, perfect enough, righteous enough, and willing enough to die. So I drove those nails. And you drove them. He prayed for me. He prayed for you. 
When he hung there between heaven and earth, his prayer was, Father, forgive him. Forgive them. Well, they don't know what they're doing. For forgiveness? Oh my, what a prayer. That our Lord asked our Heavenly Father to forgive us. What a prayer. You know, there's something very interesting about forgiveness. We can try all we want to repair all the harm that we have done. And yet we can't forgive ourselves for that harm. Somebody else must do it. We can use somebody's name in vain and try as we might to overcome the tremendous pain that we have caused by our seemingly insignificant but so important efforts. Only the person that was offended can forgive. I can do you harm, but I can't forgive myself for the harm I've done to you. I must ask your forgiveness. And you must ask mine. Isn't it strange that we can't forgive those things that we have done to others? We may try to repair all the harm that we have done. We might try to balance the evil in our lives with lots of good. And that is the effort that so many, many people attempt today is just hoping that the scales will balance in their favor. We can try all those things. We can regret that we ever did all that we've done. And we can say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But somebody else has to say, you're forgiven. Somebody else. I think there comes times in our lives when we must go to friends, family, perhaps even to enemies and say, I'm sorry. Because they're the only ones that can say, you're forgiven. But when it comes to sin, there is no place to go for that except to God. To get forgiven of our sins. And Jesus was praying, Father, forgive them their sins. And why did he pray it to the Father? Because it's the Father only who can do it. You remember the story that we have in the book of Luke in the fifth chapter of Jesus being in a private home. And there was a tremendous crowd that had gathered around that home. And the doorway was blocked. And there were some men who had a friend who, who could not walk. 
and he had to be carried, and they wanted him healed. And they knew that Jesus could do it. But nobody would let them through the crowd to get into Jesus' presence. But they weren't to be stopped, and they went and looked at the house and decided that they could remove the tile off the roof. And they with ropes could let that bed with the man on it right down through the roof into the very presence of Jesus. And they did it. Jesus saw what they were doing and saw their intent and knew their heart and knew the heart of the man that was on the bed. And he said to the man on the bed, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees standing around didn't know that they were making such a dramatic statement, but they said to each other, Who is this that can forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. What prophecy they were making there and didn't know it. It was God in the flesh standing in the midst who made the decision. Forgive them, Jesus said. I think we could add, without doing discredit to the scripture, though it's not there, in effect he was saying, Father, forgive them and condemn me. I'll take the condemnation. Let them go. The scripture says that he became sin who knew no sin. Remember back in the Old Testament, book of Exodus, 32nd chapter specifically, Moses had gone up into the mountain and God had given him the Ten Commandments written on the stone. Moses came down carrying the Ten Commandments and when he got back down to the valley where they were, they had made a golden calf, taken off their earrings and rings off their fingers and all the jewelry and melted down and made a golden calf and they were dancing around this calf naked. Just having an absolute orgy. Moses became very angry with them. He commanded 3,000 of them to be executed. But then he went to God. He said... This is verse 31 of chapter 32 of Exodus. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. And yet now, if you will forgive their sin, let me restate it to get the emphasis. If you will forgive their sin, and if not, then blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. You talk about a prayer for somebody else. A prayer for a group of people who had become as ungodly as it was conceivable to be, blasphemed the very name of God, whose laws God Uh, Moses carried down out of the mountain to give the people and here they had regressed into all this paganism and 
Moses was angry, but yet he had enough righteousness in him to go to God and say, God, forgive them their sins. But if you won't do it, then take me out of your book. That's putting your life on the line for somebody else. And that's what Jesus did. When he went to that cross, and he died, but before he died, he prayed, Father, forgive him. Paul said to the Romans, I wish that I could be accursed for you. But the obvious response is, I can't be. No man can be accursed for somebody else. But Jesus was. He was accursed. God can when man can't. What a tremendous prayer of intercession Jesus made that day for us. But let's look further. He said, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Was he saying, Father, overlook their ignorance? I think not. The prayer itself implies that they were guilty for he asked for forgiveness. Yes, they're all guilty. You and I are guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. Not at all. Did they not understand as they drove the nails into his hands and feet and placed him there suspended between heaven and earth the consequences of this act? Did they not realize that that act would be remembered forever? And the person whose hands and feet had the nails driven in would carry those scars throughout eternity? Did they not know that? You know, the consequences of sin are very grave. Adam and Eve did not understand that what they did in eating of the forbidden fruit would condemn mankind, all men, forever, unless God intervened. David didn't stop to think about his sin with Bathsheba that would lead him to commit murder. And today we face the same issue of not stopping to consider the consequence of that which we do will carry on and on and on in the lives of other people. I've heard it said, and I'm sure I have said it, and I'm sure you've said it as well. Well, I may be doing wrong, but I'm hurting nobody but myself. That's one of the greatest lies that's, that's Satan causes us to say. Is it possible to sin alone and have the consequences go nowhere? It is impossible. The sin 
that a person commits will affect immediately his family or her family. There will be the friends and the people at work and on and on it goes and there is a dynamic effect upon the church itself as our sins carry the consequences. There is no sin but what has its consequence. A cheap thrill is not cheap. The effects of a person who takes drugs does not affect only that individual, but all of society. One who drinks is one who affects all the people around him. One who lies has only started a snowball effect. And on and on it goes and the consequences continue. But isn't it rather ironic, strange in some ways, that what these soldiers of the Sanhedrin and the apostles of the Lord did on this day, a terrible act, was the very act that made it possible for you and me to be forgiven. You know, someday we're all going to stand in heaven. Hopefully all of us will that are here this morning. I can't speak for you, only for myself. But those of us who will stand in heaven, I think we'll be faced with, with an awesome guilt. And I don't know how the Lord's going to handle this. I'll leave it up to Him. But one of the things that really, really bears on my mind a lot is when I get to heaven and discover somebody that is not there that I know and associate with, work with, some member of my family, a part of my congregation, and they're not there, and I inquire why, and I find out they're in hell. And the thing that's going to bear on my mind, I think it has to when I stand there in heaven, is the guilt that I will feel when I realize that I didn't pursue that person's salvation. I didn't speak a word that would lead them to Christ. I ignored them. What guilt? If I didn't tell them, you've got the same guilt. It's not just mine. Who will stand in hell as you stand in heaven as a consequence of your failing and my failing to tell them about the Christ who died on the cross who prayed for their forgiveness? I know I've told this little story before. Some of you haven't heard it, so let me repeat it because it makes the point I want to make. Many years ago, probably 30-some years ago now, 
I attended the Indiana Baptist Convention in Indianapolis when I was pastoring in Indiana. And to that body of Baptist people, a layman of the First Baptist Church in Indianapolis spoke. He just simply told us a story of an episode of his life. He said he worked in an office building, the same building, with a man by the name of Bruce. I'll never forget that name as long as I live. Said they rode the elevator together into their office floors and they ate lunch together and they did all those things together. He didn't know much about Bruce. But he knew him, who he was. He said one day Bruce came rushing into his office and said to him, he said, I have found the Lord as my Savior. I want you to know him too. And the man said, Why, Bruce, I've been a Christian for many years. And he said, Bruce's face turned grim and he looked down at me. He said, And you had what I wanted all of these years and you didn't tell me. I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. When there may very well be that person. And I don't know how you're going to deal with it either. If we don't tell the world about a person who hanged upon a cross on a hill called Calvary just outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and prayed for them, and we never even told them that he hanged there and prayed for their forgiveness. I think today we need to seek forgiveness from people that we have wronged. I think today we need to grant forgiveness to those people who ask it. But most importantly, above all else, we need to receive forgiveness from the person who died on that cross and prayed to the Heavenly Father that He would forgive us. Are you forgiven today? Have you been covered by that blood that dripped off that cross that day? Are you a part of that group for whom he prayed? If not, you ought to be. If you're not a Christian this morning, somebody is going to be concerned about you and wonder if we've done all that we possibly could have done to have presented the gospel to you. And some of us will be able to say, we have done everything within our power to present the truth. And they reject it. What's your situation? Jesus died for you. But he prayed for your forgiveness. Will you receive it? Would you get out of your seat this morning and just come on up here and say, I'm accepting Christ as a Savior. I'm begging and praying for his forgiveness. And Father love. Let us pray. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.